Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Pam. Appreciate that very much. Wonderful song. That will be glory indeed to see our Savior. James chapter number one. James chapter number one. We have worked our way slowly through this passage and we have taken time to break down each part of this verse. Verse 19 of James chapter number one. We have spent time already in this great book, this great epistle, looking at trials and count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. We've looked at how to deal with temptation, the battle with temptation, how to have victory by considering the consequences of our sin, by considering the goodness of God, by considering our salvation, that we are partakers of the divine nature. And then we have come to verse 19, where we read, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We looked last week at slow to speak. And the fact that this is dealing with our interpreting the word of God properly. It has to do with receiving the word of God, yes. But it has to do with actually taking the word of God and handling it in such a way that we honor the Lord. So as a church, we don't endorse, we don't lay hands on, we don't bring as the pastor someone who is not qualified to preach, to declare the word of God. So it's very important who we put behind this pulpit, who we support as missionaries, what ministries that we endorse, that we support, that we partner with. That's the essence of being slow to speak. Just as we are to be ready, swift to hear the word of God, we are to be careful, we're to be unwilling to speak anything that is contrary to the word of God. So we don't endorse those who speak contrary to the word of God as a church, but also we as believers should be handling the word of God properly. And that means that we should be careful as far as what books that we are reading, as far as what channels we're following on YouTube and all the various voices that are out there. We need to be careful that we are interpreting the Bible correctly, following good principles of Bible interpretation, handling the word of God correctly, and also listening to and reading after those who properly handle the word of God, that rightly divide the word of truth. As Paul admonished Timothy, a workman, needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why I come to this pulpit with nerves every Sunday. Every time I preach, I come with nerves. Not necessarily in fear of public speaking. I've gotten accustomed to that. I've gotten used to that. There's a certain skill in that that I have enjoyed and I have developed, it's not about that so much as it is the fearfulness of handling the word of God and to declare something that is short of what God's word says or that is not interpreting God's word correctly. This is a sobering call. This is a fearful call and it's something that I don't ever want to take lightly or take for granted. I always want to come to the pulpit with some fear, to, with some nervousness, because this is a holy calling. That's not about me. That's not about patting me on the back. It's not about any kind of selfish desire. It's just simply we have, as teachers, as preachers of the Word of God, even as parents, when we declare the truth in our home, that we do so in a way that is proper, that is appropriate, that we are rightly dividing the word of truth, that we are handling the word of God, we are interpreting the word of God correctly. 
Again, we can talk about all the tangents and soapboxes and all the different ways that are out there. And there are a lot of people who write a lot of books. You can go to Barnes & Noble. I say it all the time. But you can go to Barnes & Noble and you can go to the religious section. And you can find a lot of people who claim to be Bible teachers and preachers who are misrepresenting and mishandling the Word of God. We can go to bestseller lists. And again, we can go on and on with the examples. I only shared a couple last week. But it's so important that we follow this principle of being slow to speak. That we be careful in handling the Word of God. That we be unwilling to speak anything that is contrary to the Word of God. And that we hold our tongues to the standard of the Word of God. We closed last week by talking about the fact that our tongues are often in violation of the standard of the Word of God. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. We just read that from Ephesians 4, and how often we violate those principles, those standards of the Word of God about how we use our tongue. Now, this is a great burden of James. He'll spend a good part of chapter 3 dealing with the tongue, calling it a world of iniquity, calling it a fire, calling it a little member of the body that is hard to tame. It's hard to bridle. And we will deal with the tongue in more detail in chapter 3. But we also look in verse 19 at this phrase, slow to wrath. We're to be quick to hear the word of God, ready, attentive to the word of God, receive it. We're also to be slow to speak, unwilling to speak the word of God contrary to God's standards. Properly interpreting the word of God, not violating the principles and the standards of God's word with how we speak, with what we speak, but also slow to wrath. We talked about this word slow, translated also in the Gospels as slow as in dull of hearing. Again, this idea of being unwilling to violate God's standard regarding anger. To follow God's principles regarding wrath, regarding anger. The tongue and anger often go together, don't they? Oftentimes we express or violate, I should say, we express anger and we violate God's standards, God's principles, God's commands regarding the tongue in, in anger. And so these often go together. But as we look at this phrase, slow to wrath, let's... Look at this word wrath as we begin studying this phrase. This word wrath is the word orge. It has to do with a boiling anger, a deep internal resentment. We were out at the Holtz a couple Saturdays ago, and there were two big pots of stew. One, I guess, of the hobo stew, and one of the bean soup, the bean stew. And Willie was working on it, and Kim was working on it. And there was boiling stew, boiling water, boiling soup. There was orge going on in those metal pots, boiling. And this has to do with a boiling anger in our hearts, in our spirit, that is a deep internal resentment toward the Word of God. In the context, again, receiving the word of God, being quick to hear, attentive to, ready to hear the word of God, slow to speak, being unwilling to speak that which is contrary to the word of God, 
handling the word of God properly, but then also slow to wrath, unwilling to exercise our attitude and our passions in such a way that we have a resentment, an anger, a refusal of the word of God. Slow to wrath. Do we have a resentment toward the word of God? Do we have a boiling bad attitude toward the word of God? James is very concerned, very burdened for this. That we receive the word of God well. That we receive the word of God right. That we don't mishandle the word of God. And that we receive the word of God with such a broken and a contrite spirit with such a teachable spirit that there's no resentment toward the word of God. There's no anger toward the word of God that we respond the right way toward God's word. So the question is, how do we respond to the word of God? How do I respond to the word of God? What about when God brings conviction, rebukes some aspect of our life, some pet sin, some besetting sin? What about when God's word reveals the idols of our heart? How do we respond? We see here in verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So putting these words wrath from verse 19 with the word wrath from verse 20, we understand clearly that The wrath of man, anger toward the word of God, will not yield the righteous life. It will not produce the righteous life that God desires us to have. This phrase, working not the right, worketh not the righteousness of God, has to do with not having or not responding with the right attitude. It's participating in an activity, an unrighteous activity that does not meet God's approval. So literally, worketh not the righteousness of God is not the righteous activity that meets God's approval. In other words, an anger toward the word of God, a resentment toward the word of God, a rejection of the word of God, when God's word brings conviction, when God's word brings rebuke, when God's word points to change, that we need to make, and we resent that, we get angry against God, we refuse to submit our hearts, our minds, our lives to the word of God, then we are violating the very standard of conduct that God has set for us. We are not participating in the righteous activity that meets God's standard. We are not then seeing righteousness produced in our life, the way God wants it to be produced. We have, in our midst here, we have farmers, we have gardeners, we have people who are very active or have been very active in farming. You put down fertilizer, you have certain irrigation techniques, you do all that you can so that you can get that fruit, that seed, that crop, whatever it is, to yield the greatest yield that it possibly can, and that usually means money, right? That usually means income. It means food on the table. It literally means that you have what you need to eat for the winter or whatever the case may be. We, when we 
reject the word of God when we don't allow God's word to, in a sense, fertilize our life, to irrigate our life, to produce righteousness in our life, we have a bad seed. We have the consequences of our actions, of our rejection of the word of God, of falling short of God's standard. That's the wrath that James is warning us against. A anger, a resentment toward God's word. And we are putting out, in a sense, the flames, we're putting out the fire of God's word that is seeking to produce within us righteousness. We're not fertilizing the soil. We're not irrigating the soil of our hearts. So then it doesn't produce the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit. And James is warning us about this. Ephesians 4 and verse 30, where we were just a few moments ago, we read, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit does what? Guides us into all truth. So as we respond to the word of God, the Holy Spirit is pointing us to the truth. The Holy Spirit is bringing conviction through the word of God. So if we are angry and resentful of God's work in our hearts as believers, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed us until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. This grieving has to do with disappointing a person. This has to do with us not holding our end of the bargain, so to speak, not maintaining that right relationship with God that he wants us to have so that he can produce within us righteousness, Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19 says, Quench not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit being like a fire. Again, pointing us to the Word of God, warming our life, providing for our life the righteousness that God wants to develop within us. And when we pour water on that, we throw a wet blanket on the fire of the Holy Spirit, pointing us to the Word of God, then we are quenching the spirits. We are being wrathful. We're being quick to wrath. We are resenting. We're having a bad attitude. We're having an anger toward the Word of God. Getting angry at God and refusing to submit to God's word produces unrighteousness. We then, when we refuse to hear the word of God, we become hardened. We become hypocritical. We become apathetic. We become disobedient. This is the, the sad thing about a bad attitude toward the word of God. It can produce a callousness. We can even be guilty, as James is dealing with so very clearly in James 1. We can even speak all of the right language. We can have all the Jesus terminology. We can have all of the vernacular. But we have in our hearts a resentment toward the Word of God. We have a bad attitude toward the Word of God. And we become hypocritical. Or, as we see across the landscape of evangelical Christianity, we see an apathy toward the Word of God. 
Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, we're making a big deal about nothing. Oh, that's not really what God wants us to do. Oh, that's that's for the Jesus freaks. I don't need to really be sold out to Jesus. All that church going, all that Bible reading, all that attention to the word of God. That's just my life's pretty good. I'm doing all right. And we are apathetic and downright disobedient. And we excuse and rationalize and even try to spiritualize our disobedience, our sinfulness. That's the wrath of God. That's, excuse me, that's the wrath that we have against God's word that James is warning us about. How dangerous is it for us as believers to sit week after week or to have a devotional plan, a Bible reading plan, to go to Bible classes and Bible conferences and to hear the word of God over and over and over and know that God is dealing with an area of our life and God is convicting us. The Holy Spirit is poking and pruning and prodding us. And we have such a bad attitude toward the word of God that we say, no, we're not going to change that area. We're going to continue to do what we want to do. James is warning about this. He says it doesn't produce the wrath of man. This bad attitude toward scripture worketh not the righteousness of God. As one commentator said, we should receive the word. We must respond to the word and we must resign ourselves, submit ourselves to the word. And resentment toward the word of God in his work in our hearts Results also many times in anger toward others, doesn't it? If we have a bad attitude toward the word of God, if we have a bad attitude toward the preaching and the teaching of God's word, if we have the wrong spirit, the wrong response to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit pointing us to the truths of God's word, then that anger, that boiling resentment, anger in our hearts often then results in a resentment and an anger others. And we see in Ephesians 4 and verse 31, as we read earlier, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. How many times as we get further and further away from a right relationship with God, as we get further and further away from receiving the word of God and applying the word of God and rightly dividing the word of God. And as we gain, or excuse me, as we have a continuing bad attitude and resentment and boiling anger in our spirit toward the word of God, how often does that then result in our anger toward others? Our vertical relationship with God is not right, so then our horizontal relationship with others isn't right. And I don't know how many times in my own life, if I'm struggling with a bad attitude toward some member of my family, I'm struggling with my attitude in in the home, it is directly correlated to my relationship with God. And sin will keep us from this book, or this book will keep us from sin. And I know we think of that in a kind of a circle, you know, back and forth. But there's that direct correlation, bad attitude toward God, toward his word, toward church, toward the faithful declaration of God's word in preaching and in teaching, in Bible study. And however that God brings his word into our lives, faithfully declared 
rightly divided, if we resent that, if we reject that, if we won't submit to God's word, ultimately then it will affect every area of our life, every relationship that we have. And if we struggle with bitterness, with anger, with wrath, with a bad temper, with this clamor, this evil speaking, this malice, which is a malicious spirit toward others, is there not a maliciousness of spirit in our culture today? You don't have to go very far at all. Go to your local store, go to your local restaurant, just drive down the road. Are there not malicious drivers? They drive with a malicious spirit. You go into the airport, you, you see the, the tension, you feel it. On and on it goes. It's in the news everywhere we go. So many people with a clamoring spirit, a malicious spirit, a, a bitterness of spirit because of a rejection of the word of God. And we have to be careful as believers. We have to be so careful because we can become apathetic. We can become hypocritical. We can even have a callous to our life because we are not right with God. We don't let God's word speak to our hearts. We are in a bad attitude and a boiling anger and resentment toward the word of God. And it begins to affect our Christian walk. It affects our marriage. It affects our relationship with our kids. It affects our relationship with our co-workers. On and on and on it goes. And it does not produce the righteousness of God. So we see this slow to wrath. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 warns us, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. How often is our spirit broken down by sin, by selfish desires and anger and bitterness and resentment, and that brokenness of our life is like a city back in Bible times that has no walls. And the invaders, the enemies, can just come marching in and destroy the city, take over the city. And how often when our life is full of anger and bitterness and resentment toward God, toward His Word, and then in our relationships with others, that we become defenseless. And the enemy moves in, and there is an invasion of our life. And we are... Defeated. And we live discouraged and defeated lives instead of victorious lives as God would want us to have and be producing within us the righteousness of God. So we see this phrase slow to wrath, but we go on now to verse 21 and we see a transition word. We see the word wherefore. So James is continuing in this theme of hearing the word, receiving the word, and it transforming us within that we're knowing that we are being and that we are doing, that we live it out in obedience. He is dealing with this over and over, but he begins in a transition in verse 21. Wherefore, this has to do with a prepared heart. We are to be slow to wrath, and we all start to have this prepared heart. Verse 21, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Okay, so he is going to appeal to those who are unsaved. He is going to deal with the fact that it is the word of God, the 
grafted word that is able to save our souls. So he is going to uh, make an appeal to the unsaved to receive the word of God. The only way they're going to have victory over all this sin, all this evil, all this wickedness in their life is by receiving the engrafted word, the implanted word. It saves your souls. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he's also applying this to believers. Okay, this phrase here, superfluity of naughtiness, right before that is the word filthiness. One example is the idea of weeds in our yard, in our garden, among the crops, all kinds of different pesticides and insecticides. We put down some sort of weed and feed, all these different weed preventers. Some work better than others. Some, it seems like, if you just miss one little area, that's where the dandelions, and they seem to be able to spread throughout the yard. And when we were in Indianapolis, our first house on the west side of Indianapolis, there was a neighbor across the street, and he had a, a green thumb. He was just OC about his yard. Every three or four days, he's out there mowing. I mean, it had no weeds. Every blade of that grass was as luscious green as you can possibly imagine the entire summer. And then there's my poor yard across the street. We buy this house. It had sat empty for a year. It was a repossessed. We got it a great deal. And it was a weed fest. And I spent years, we spent 16 years in that house. And that yard every summer had weeds. It had crabgrass. And I was not about to spend my hard-earned money on some True Green or some other landscape company to come because I was just, I don't know, too much of a miser, I guess. Or I wanted to spend my money on other things. So I determined every year I was going to do it myself. And I'd buy those bags and I'd spread it out there and I'd go out there with the, 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 the weed killer. Every year they came back. And then there's Mark across the street. Mowing, fertilizing, everything is luscious green. He has all the stripes in his yard perfectly, you know. How many times do we have all kinds of weeds just grown up in our life? That's really kind of what James is dealing with here. For us as believers, how many times do we have the dandelions and the crabgrass and all the other broadleaf weeds that have grown up in our life that are suffocating the word of God from reaching our life? There's no fertilization going on. There's very little irrigation or whatever kind of water that we can put out to help bring more life to the yard. What about in our own life? The lack of the water of God's word, the resentment toward the word of God, the unwillingness to receive the word of God, the not handling the word of God or following and reading after those who don't handle the word of God, and it begins to form all kinds of weeds in our life that suffocates And James says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Get the weeds plucked out of of your life so the good soil can produce good fruits. And we know that for a saved person, there is good soil. But it can get afflicted and it can get covered with these weeds. To use another illustration, our life can get dirty. And this word filthiness literally has to do with taking off dirty clothes. 
This word filthiness has to do with the dirtiness of our life. The entire image is that of a weed-filled yard, believers who have allowed weeds to grow up in their yard. But in the particular terminology that James uses, filthiness has to do with dirtiness. And how many times do we have to take off dirty clothes after a busy work day, after a sweaty run, or whatever it is that we have been doing? Chandler would come home this summer from working in foundations and basements and all of the things that would go with all the work that he would do down in the ground and, I don't know, waterproofing and on and on it went. And he would come home some days and he was just filthy, boots full of mud, all kinds of just whatever all over. And it was straight to the shower, straight to the dirty laundry and get rid of that filth get rid of those dirty clothes and so often we as believers we are going through the life going through the christian life with dirty clothes we're clothed in the righteousness of christ but i'm talking about in our sanctification in the process of our sanctification how many times are we going about life with the dirty clothes on And we would never do that. We don't shower for a couple of days and we stink. We teach our children to wear deodorant. We have all these things that we are teaching to have proper personal hygiene. And one of the key things is to just change your clothes. You would never come back from a hard run on a hot day all sweaty or come back from football practice or soccer practice or from basketball practice and just wear those sweaty clothes and go to bed and sleep in those sweaty clothes and get up the next day. It's just gross to even think about. But we do it in our spiritual lives. And James is saying there's weeds in our life. There's dirty clothes that we leave on and we need to get rid of that filthiness. For an unsaved person, the only way they can get rid of that filthiness is by receiving the engrafted word that saves their soul. But for a believer whose soul is saved by having received the engrafted word, there is still a process of sanctification. We need to pluck out those weeds. We need to take off that, those dirty clothes. And we need to remove from us this superfluity of naughtiness. An older English phrase. We don't use this word a lot. We don't use this phrase very much today, but it has to do with an excess of evil. It has to do with an abundance of wickedness. For the unsaved, the only way to get victory, the only way to get released, the only way to have this filthiness removed, the only way to have this naughtiness, this abundance of wickedness removed is by trusting Christ as one Savior, turning from one sin, repenting of one sin, and placing their faith and trust in Christ, in Christ alone, His death, burial, and resurrection. But for us as believers, James is saying, why would you continue to practice those things that you used to practice in your former life? Why would you return back to those things that you're now ashamed of? Romans chapter number six is what this phrase, what this passage reminds me of. Romans chapter number six, verse number one, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In our sanctification process, we are becoming more and more like we already are positionally in Christ. So he is saying, 
Get rid of this excess of wickedness in your life. Get rid of these superfluities of naughtiness that are excesses of evil, that is abundance of wickedness, that is plaguing your life, that was characteristic of the old life from which you have been saved from. And in Romans 6, he continues down in verses 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. James is correlating with what Paul would later teach in Romans, that we are to with the word of God, lay apart this filthiness, cleanse ourselves of this dirtiness, take off these dirty clothes that are making our life stinky with worldly living and selfish, carnal thinking and living and acts and actions and attitudes and put off the overflow of evil and the abundance of the wickedness that was characteristic of the old life And instead, receive the engrafted, the implanted word as a saved person. The word is implanted in us by the work of the Holy Spirit who baptized us into the Holy Spirit. We will have a baptismal service and it will be a picture as they are immersed. The Holy Spirit places us in Christ at the moment of salvation. He places us all the way in Christ. He doesn't take us and put us in Christ and then keep our feet dangling out. He places us all the way in Christ so we're fully clothed in his righteousness. So we baptize by immersion and that person goes all the way under the water picturing the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we are placed in Christ. So now as a Holy Spirit filled believer with the temple of God, our body being the temple of God, why do we allow dirty clothes to stay on? Why do we allow excess of evil and abundance of wickedness to continue in our life? We're to receive the word of God and it should so affect us from within that it changes us from within. And that's where he gets to in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. James is burdened. Obedience is necessary in responding to the reception of God's word. He is continuing to make this point that the hearing has to go deep within. It has to be in our life, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, as we read in the book of Colossians. That we are transformed within, Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does our mind get renewed? How does our mind get changed from stinking thinking, from thinking after worldly patterns of sinful thoughts, from thinking after ways that had set up priorities of worldliness and set the world's values? How do we have that change of mind? By the word of God. By allowing the word of God to not just be heard, yes, audibly in the sounds and the vibrations, but for it to then be received and then applied 
to be lived out in the removing of the dirty clothes, the plucking up of the weeds, of stopping this excess of evil and this abundance of wickedness. And it all begins and ends with the word of God. How do we receive it? Slow to wrath. Are we resentful of the word of God? Do we have an anger toward what God is doing in our life? Do we make excuses for sinfulness? Are we adopting bad attitudes toward the word of God that are, that are encouraged by the world? Do we pick up worldly philosophies, worldly thinking, unsaved patterns of thoughts that cause us to have a wrath toward the word of God? That causes us to have a resentment. God, you can deal with my life in a lot of other ways, but not with that. And we begin to make excuses. And that wrath, that resentment toward the word of God, it does not produce the righteousness of God in our lives. And I close with this. Not trying to be condemning or judgmental, but just trying to take the word of God and apply it to each of our hearts and our lives. But when someone can live a long time and not grow in their Christian life, when someone can live a long time, claim to be a Christian, and there's not real lasting change, there needs to be some serious evaluation of one's attitude toward the word. Could it be an unsaved attitude toward the word? And one has continued in a rejection of Jesus Christ? And not submitting to him as Lord and Savior, repenting of one's sins, placing one's faith in Christ and Christ alone. Or as a saved person, there's not this righteousness of God being produced in my life. Maybe I need to drop some bad attitudes that I have toward God's word. You know, like sometimes us as kids and sometimes as kids have toward us as parents, a bad attitude. A simple command, a simple thing that we want them to do, a simple and ah attitude, smart aleck comments. I'll do it later. If we have that attitude toward God, toward His Word, we're not seeing the righteousness of God produced. Maybe we need to do some evaluation. We see in in, in James one and verse nineteen, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow. Wrath. May this be true and evident in our lives that we may go out from here, not just hearers of the word, but doers, putting this into practice. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's like the sword that pierces even to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And Lord, how much we need that. Because the world and all of its thinking and its values and its priorities, they weave themselves into our life in deception. If we're not careful, Lord, if we don't hear and be, know and do, then the word of God does not produce the righteousness that you so desire of us, the Christ-likeness that you so want us to have developed, that you so desire for us. Lord, I pray that we will not just be hearers only, but we will be doers as we receive and apply 
and be what you would have us to be, that we might then live out in obedience the truths of your word. If there's someone here who's not saved, who does not know you as their Savior, Lord, may today they turn from their sin and turn to you in saving faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek's going to come and he's going to lead us in our closing hymn, 487, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow.